we hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. Going to continue what uh, Stu began last week and what I kind of began the previous week, which was beginning to work through uh, the Bible together, and we've chosen the book of Colossians. Uh, it's a nice short book for us to begin to, to work our way through. Uh, and Stu, kind of, I think it was three sentences, but 12 verses he, he managed to get through last week. I told him, slow down, just take it, take it slower. But in 50 minutes, he managed to get through that. And I thought it was really good stuff. Um, and I recommend, obviously, if you haven't seen it, if you weren't here last week, um, go catch up and then you'll be able to kind of, you know, connect the dots as to where I'm going from now. But why don't you, I don't know, be a bit of a rebel and skip ahead and just uh, see what happens in Colossians and read all four chapters and read them again and again and again. Because we're going to go through this systematically uh, and we're going to go through it as long as it takes. I haven't got a particular program of we'll do so many verses on a Sunday. We're just going to, if one verse one Sunday just takes me on a journey, I, will, I hope that you will join me on that journey. If, if a number of verses, then it'll be a number of verses. All right, and today I'm going to give you a hint. We're going to go through three verses. So that would mean logically that that's 13, 14 and 15. Um, at least that's how it's measured and, and numbered in my, in my Bible. Um, I'm going to be taking mainly uh, um, verses from the Passion Translation, which I love. I absolutely love it. It's, it is at a moment only Proverbs, Psalms and the New Testament. Hopefully one day they'll get the old, all of the Old Testament done and dusted because I'd love to see what it says through that. Um, but I just think it puts things in a really beautiful way, in a really refreshing way, and really makes you think. And of course, as good Bible students, we don't just rely on one Bible translation, do we? No, we don't get stuck into one Bible translation. We should have a number of Bibles. If you're old school, you have a number of Bibles open in front of you if you're studying. Um, if you're not so old school, you have a number of um, um, windows open on your, your electrical device and you've got these, these things to reference because there are, there are paraphrase Bibles, there are word-for-word Bibles and there are thought-for-thought Bibles. All of them are a different mix of those three things. Thought-for-thought is where the Bible translators have taken uh, what they think the, the uh, thoughts are of the writer and they've applied that as they've begun to translate through. Paraphrase is they've literally taken the old language and tried to um, put it in a way that makes sense to us. So like, for example, the Message uh, Bible and, and what have you. And then you've got the literal translation, which are things like the King James Version, uh, English Standard Version, where they're trying to do their very best to literally take what the word says and translate it into English and just reform uh, the sentences around one another. So that's just my encouragement that's come from nowhere for you to not just read one translation because you'll get one bias of those people who are translating it. And the only real way we can have a real idea of what Scripture is saying to us is if we learn Greek, is if we learn Hebrew, and is if we learn Aramaic. Uh, and, and, and also then, not only that, we're able to put our mindset into a first century and past people. That's the only real way we're going to begin to truly understand it. Hebrew as, as a language is, is a 3D language. It's over here and it's over here and it's over there. Our language, English, is a progressive language. We go from he and we go to Z, whereas Hebrew isn't like that. So we do need all these various translations and various um, um, different styles of Bible to be able to get us to help us understand what the Word of God is saying. On saying that, it is also a simple book. It's a complicated book, but it's a simple book. Because it's a book that really, as I said in that first week, just talks about Jesus. 
And when you begin to see scripture through, through the worldview of Jesus, everything begins to make a lot more sense to you. So it's a simple book in that way, but obviously it is a more complex book in that we're reading uh, translations of translations with biases and what have you. Now let me just say you something. I've, I've shared this before. When I was a kid, uh, well into my teenage years, I was, I was into all sorts of stuff. I was into spiritualism, I was into paganism, I was into loads of things. I went to Spiritualist Church, remember me telling you this for, for a few years. Um, but prior to that, prior to kind of going to Spiritualist Church, because it did have a Christian bent to it, um, I thought all, all religions led to the divine. I thought all of them led to the divine. I thought, you know, it's that classic elephant um, example. Have you heard of the elephant example? That all religions are really touching the same animal, but you're just touching different parts of it and therefore getting different feels out of it. So if you just touch a leg, it feels like a leg, and that's what you think your religion is like. If you touch the trunk, it's very different from the leg. If you touch the, the, um, the what do you call it again, tusk, thank you. If you touch that, it, it feels very different. And so we all get different flavours. It's all part of the same animal. But I think that's very arrogant, because who says that God looks like an elephant? To say that, I think, is a very arrogant statement, that all religions lead to God. I don't. I think one of them does, and I think there's one truth. And I believe I've found that truth. My job is to love others who think differently to me, and to graciously explain why, why I, where I am where I am, and to give a good account of my faith. But I believe there's one truth, and it's explained through Scripture. However, as a young kid, I had all, in quotes, the holy books on my bookshelf. I had, I had spiritualist books, I had guru books, I had the Quran on my bookshelf, I had the Bible on my bookshelf. It, just, it was just as important as all those other books was the Bible, or, or not as important, depending on your point of view. I believe there were things to, to get out of all of them, because I believe that all religions led to the divine. The problem was, when I picked those books up, they were cold. When I picked them up, when I opened them up, all I read was words. I didn't feel anything. I, ju- I just got information about what certain religions practiced and, the, and what they believed and how they believed it. I didn't, didn't feel anything. And that included the Bible because I didn't have the Holy Spirit living within me. When I became a Christian, when I gave my life to Christ and I, and I opened my Bible, it, I've said to you before, I, it, it, it became alive for me because I was beginning to see it through the worldview of Jesus. It became something more than just a book. It became something that is real and relevant. As real as relevant to me now as it is over 2,000 years ago to those people of the ancient world. And that's why I'd love each and every one of you, if you're not there, to be able to pick up that book, to be able to pick up the scriptures in whatever form you read it in and go, this is alive. This is, this is moving beneath my fingers, as it were. There's something tangible, something I can grasp and get hold of. Because I tell you, as I read the Bible, as I begin to study it, and as I have been doing for Colossians here, oh my goodness, as a non-cryy kind of person, and I'm really not, there are times where tears come to my eyes because I'm just so overwhelmed by the power of his word. His God-breathed, God-inspired word that has been, been written down by various people over the ages and comes to us in its completed form. And I don't care that human people made, in quotes, decisions about which, which bits of books and letters go in to make up our Bible because I believe that they, those, those decisions were inspired by God, that they were led faithfully by the Holy Spirit to put them together. 
So I reject the arguments that we should have this, that, and the other, in the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, and all that. I believe that God has inspired the word and put it together. And listen, there are flaws in it in terms of spelling errors and maybe words from, that shouldn't be there that a little scribe has snuck in there because it makes a bit more sense. So I don't believe it's absolutely 100% um, uh, not got any errors in it whatsoever, but those errors, I think you need to put them within the context of a human mind because once you put it through the interface of a fallen creature of which we are, things can occur that aren't necessarily um, what God might have wanted. But nevertheless, I still think on the whole, it is, it is God-inspired and God-breathed. And even those errors can make us think. There are errors. There are spelling errors in it. There are, there are, a, whole, there are, there are a couple where the verses change the meaning of the text. Investigate it. Look for it yourself. I'm not being blasphemous. I'm just saying it exists. They're there. But if you begin to look into it, if you begin to understand the context of the time in which it was written, you begin to see why those things were put in there, why those mistakes were made, why those things were injected. So I'm not being blasphemous. I'm just telling you that's, that's the reality of it. But I still love the Word of God. So we're going to start with Colossians 13, from verse 13. So have you got it? Have you brought your Bibles? Have you brought your Bibles? Have you got your Bibles open on your, on your apps and things like that, on your devices? Go to Colossians 13. I'm not going to reread what, what Stu wrote, what Stu talked about last week. It's up to you to go ahead and do that yourself and to catch up. But I'm going to read just verse 13. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule, authority of darkness. And has translated us, I love that word, he's translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. He has rescued us completely from tyrannical rule, that's the authority of darkness, and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. You need to just reread the verse, reread the verse, and reread the verse. He, that he in this verse is who? Who is it? It's God. God has rescued us completely. God, all those who have given our lives to Christ, he's rescued us. We're now no longer living in the tyrannical rule of darkness, but we're living in the kingdom realm of his beloved son. But the question I really asked myself was, rescued us from what? Because we hear that a lot. Jesus has rescued us. And all this that we're going through is, is to enable us to reach a lost world. So we need to truly understand what, what we've been rescued from to translate that and help people understand that in the world beyond these four walls. So what has he rescued us from what? Well, it's very simply, because he says so in, these, in this verse here, he's rescued us from one kingdom and put us into another. But they're not geographical kingdoms. They are, they're spiritual ones. We're not being rescued from an earthly place. It's not like being rescued from the UK and then being transferred to the US. Although maybe at this point in time you might quite like that. <laughs> or pick another country that doesn't have a person in charge that you don't like. Um, they're not geographical kingdoms, they're spiritual kingdoms. 
And what God does is what he rescues us from is the power, the authority, the rule, and the domination of evil. That's where he's rescuing us from. And he's bringing us into his kingdom, which is a place where his son rules, where Jesus rules. And he rules with benevolence and goodness. I'll repeat that again so you can smile at me. He rules with benevolence and goodness. So even simpler terms, in even simpler terms, when we accept that salvation call of Jesus as Pat so wonderfully celebrated this morning, and I think we should all celebrate when we're born again completely. When we accept that salvation call of Jesus, it's not just about guaranteeing our place in some beyond heavenly realm. It's not just that. It's, it's not. And that's so often we've fallen into that trap in Western Christianity is that really being saved is so that we, when we die, we go to heaven. That's part of it. There is some, there is some truth there, absolutely. But really, it's, it's actually about the here and now. Like, like this morning. Um, it's, it's about dismissing the rulership of, of Satan and the demonic, which are real. I don't want to labour on them too much, but they're real and they exist. It's, not, it's, it's about dismissing that rulership of Satan and the demonic and, and accepting the rule and reign of Christ over our lives from the very moment that we genuinely say yes to him. And listen, we're all tempted, aren't we? Even though we're born again and we're in quotes saved, we are tempted. The devil doesn't want us to stay in that good place. He wants us to bring us back into the bad place. He wants to tempt us and coerce us with various, various things. He tried to do that with Jesus in Scripture, but he, I tell you something, he can't stop our hearts and our minds turning to Jesus in an instant. He's powerless against that. Powerless against that. So for those of us, we've given ourselves to Christ. We're in this kingdom of light with Christ, aren't we? And, and, but what exactly, what exactly, I think I want to understand a little bit more. What exactly is that kingdom of darkness that we've been rescued from? So we talked about demonic and, 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 and the devil and Satan and what have you. But what is it? Well, it's a kingdom. It's a kingdom of destruction. It's, it's powered by sin. Never leads anywhere good. The authority of Christ, the authority of Jesus, beats that the tyranny of the devil, hands down. If you agree, you can say amen. Hands down. Because light will always overcome darkness. It'll always overcome darkness. Darkness can never overcome light. We can be shielded from light. You know, maybe you can call those temptations and coercions. We can be shielded from the light, but darkness can never stop light. Darkness can never extinguish light. You don't switch on darkness when you go to bed, do you? You don't flick off light, turn on darkness. You don't turn on darkness. You turn on the light to find your way there, don't you? Occasionally that light can be turned off and you know, we, can, we can fall back into old ways and, and old temptations, but we don't have to stay there. 
Now that we've got the resources of heaven to overcome all that Satan wants to throw at us. As, as believers then, God, God has helped us. He's brought us into his kingdom. But if we know the kingdom of darkness is one of corruption and destruction and division, then what more does the kingdom of light look like? It's one where hate doesn't exist. 1 John 2 verse 9 tells us that if we hate our brother or sister, and, and I think that's both in the natural and the, the spiritual family, if we hate, then we're probably still in darkness. We've, we've turned off the light somewhere if we're born again and we're, we're not following Christ the way that we should. If we hate our brother or sister, if we hate, then we're still in darkness. That's what the Bible says. It's not what I say. So, check your heart. Check your heart with your natural brothers and sisters and your, your, your spiritual, your church brothers and sisters. And go sort out your issue. Go sort it out. Release yourself from that burden. The kingdom of light, it's an everlasting kingdom where, where love rules. And remember, that's a kingdom of which we're already, be, we're already a part. We've, we've given our lives to Christ, so we're already part of that kingdom. We don't have to, like I said, we don't have to wait to pass from this existence to, to the next. We can already enjoy the fruits of heaven right now. Amen. We've got the spirit of Jesus within us. And that spirit reflects uh, the rule of his kingdom. And in Galatians, we, we find the fruit of the spirit is, is love, primarily. But it's also what? Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I find self-control the hardest of those, particularly when I'm behind the wheel of a car (laughs) or the kids are arguing. So I've got to work on that. What what are you going to work on? Because it's there. You've got the resource of heaven to help you to help you exhibit this fruit of the Spirit, what you got to do. So in this one verse that we just started with right now, this one verse, Paul is reminding the people of Colossae and then also us, because it's in the word, of the awesome authority under which we now live. Let's move on to verse 14. For in the Son... All our sins are cancelled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Wow. Again, wow. What is amazing about scripture and about the Bible is it just just moves on (laughs) to the next sentence, to the next verse. And we just got to stop and think. And that's what we're doing right now as we're going through Colossae. For in the Son, all our sins, my emphasis, mine, all our sins are cancelled. And we have the release of redemption through his very blood. So God's rescued us. And and obviously those that Paul was writing to is reminding them of that. But how has he rescued us? How has he done that? This is a real simple message, really, when we get to verse 15. I'm not saying anything complicated. How has he rescued us? Well, in this verse, he reminds us how through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Let's say that with a bit more confidence. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. Through that supreme act of selfless love, Jesus took on all our sin. Past, present and future. He took all our sin for all time. When you begin to think about that moment that he, he, he gasped his final breath or whatever it is and the earth shook and the, the temple curtain was torn and light was turned to darkness. That's, how, that's the power of what is happening in that moment. All sin of all existence is being taken into that one person. The only person in the world in all time that could ever take that sin upon themselves. And, and if you think about how sinful we can be as human beings, how disgusting and horrific we can be, that's what he took on himself. He wasn't just in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood because he was, he was going to die a horrific death. He's thinking about what's coming on him. What he's taking on board to give us freedom. Now, historically, to be redeemed, because I think redeemed is one of those words we, we took around as Christians. It's like, what does that actually mean? Well, it, it, it's, it's made in reference to purchasing a slave's freedom. So actual money. Money is... I want to buy that slave. I want to give him his freedom, her freedom, that family's freedom. I'm going to give you, lots of, give you some money and they can be free. I'm redeeming them from a life of slavery. And in the Old Testament, what do we do? Well, we read of God speaking about the Israelites being freed from what? From Egyptian slavery in Exodus. In, in Exodus uh, chapter 6, it says, it says this, these words, I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you. To be redeemed in the New Testament and the New Covenant means we're no longer slaves to sin. So we can be, we can be put off course sometimes and we can be um, um, upset a little bit like, you know, for temptations and things. But we're, we're no longer enslaved by them. We can be free of them. Because Jesus paid that price with his life. So therefore, if he paid a price for us, he redeemed us. That, that new covenant redemption means that we're not just free to move from one place to the next like those Israelites were. They, you know, they went to the desert, didn't they, and spent a long time faffing about. You know, we, 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 we're not just free to move from one place to the next like those Israelites, but we're, we're also spiritually free. And it comes with some awesome benefits, being spiritually free. You ready for some awesome benefits that you have access to already? Eternal life. Let's tick them off. I love it. Good one. Tick them off. Eternal life. Revelation 5, 9 to 10. You can check that out. Our sins are cancelled. We're forgiven. Tick. Ephesians 1 verse 7. We've got a right relationship with God. That's cool. Romans 5 verse 17. I'm giving you these verse, verses here because I want you to know I'm, I'm grounding it in biblical authority. We're, we're at peace. That was talked about so much this morning. We're at peace. Where's your peace? We have the Holy Spirit able to live in us. Tick. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and here's, here's the best bit, right? Here's the coolest bit. All that is, is cool and awesome and great. We are now part of a massive, wonderful, loving family. Galatians 4, verse 5. 
We're part of the church, the church of Jesus Christ, which should be, should be a loving, wonderful family. And my desire is that the church becomes more like that as, as, as we go on. Titus 2, again, some books we don't normally read, eh? Titus 2, verse 13 and 14 says that Jesus sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase, that's redeem, our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. Passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. I'm going to finish shortly. Let's go with verse 15. This is our final one for this morning. It says, continues and says this. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, the firstborn heir of all creation. Now here's something interesting from verse 15 to verse 20. I didn't know this. According to a number of biblical scholars, that verse is the beginning of a, of a really beautiful poem. So we, we're going to read it all together, actually. We just, we, we're going to go through those verses in more detail in, in weeks to come, but I want to read that poem together because it's beautiful. Some scholars think that, that it was based on something else that Paul had written, an actual poem, and that it's, it has inference to that poem. But either way, it's beautiful. But I want you to, for a minute... Put yourself in the place of that first of a first century writer. Okay? Removing as I read this the translation into English and, and, and the biases that, that it can carry. And as you listen and wonder and, and just listen actually, don't read it because I'm reading from a translation you might not have. Think and wonder for yourself whether it could have been a poem, whether it could have been burst on an, an earlier poem and, and adapted. To the people of, for the people of Colossae. Let me read it. In my best Radio 2 voice. He is the divine portrait. The true likeness and the invisible God. The firstborn heir of all creation. For through the sun everything was created. Both in the heavenly realm and on earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it was all created through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. He is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence. Again. Just pause. 
Raise your hands in the air like Kate if you want. I don't I just want to shout and clap. Oh, go for it. So good. So good. Let's zoom back into the Old Testament though. Let's just go visit there once again because I want to visit Proverbs 8. I was there's this thing called the Bible Project. Anybody ever heard of it? You need to, if you've not, go check it out. A certain individual bought me two posters based on 1 Corinthians, I think it was. Yeah. I've yet to put them up on my wall, but they basically do these drawings as they talk in these videos, and they explain every book of the Bible, every context, every feature. It's just awesome. Go check out the Bible, all free resources. Go check out thebibleproject.com. And anyway, the reason I say that is because I was listening to a podcast of theirs, it was available on podcasts as well, and he said the Bible is like the internet, that there are hyperlinks everywhere. And, and, and we just click on one and we go visit somewhere else that we thought was disconnected, but actually the two things are connected. And that's the wonder of scripture. It's a hyperlinked divine internet that you can tap into. So as we've read, as we've read that possible poem, and scholars do debate it, but I like to think it was based on a poem at least, we can connect it to Proverbs 8. And we, and we can begin to understand uh, where Paul is positioning Christ as he wrote those words down. Because that verse, verse 15, not the whole of it, but that verse tells us quite plainly that Jesus is the perfect representation of God. In, he's a representation of God in our imagination, because it's a portrait. That's what I was thinking about it. When you draw a portrait, when you paint a portrait, it's coming from what you know and understand through your imagination. You've seen several portraits of, of, of Elizabeth Windsor over the years. Some of that, by the way, it's a queen for all those of you who are monarchists. Um, it's, it, 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 there are some bonkers portraits out there, but they're all presenting, the, presenting what they saw in a loving way back to her. And right, do you know what I mean? Have you seen them? There's some weird and wonderful stuff. So the portrait is talking about our imagination of how we view Jesus. But it's also in the spiritual, because the words there say, true likeness of the invisible. So if it's invisible, it's talking of something spiritual. Something that we can't get in the natural, it's only through the supernatural that we begin to connect with it. And then finally, it brings us down into the natural, because it talks about the firstborn heir. And here's the thing about Proverbs 8. I'm going to get to it. We find in Proverbs 8 the personification of wisdom. Capital W, actually. Um, and, and it's this language of wisdom that, that Paul is describing Jesus. And, and wisdom language is important if you know your Old Testament. Because the wisdom language, in, particularly when you read it in Proverbs or other places, well, it describes the, what, what the Jews are trying to describe. They're trying to use their imagination. They're trying to present the most exalted image that they knew how to, to depict a divine personality that was distinct from God. Distinct from God the Father. They didn't get Jesus yet but they understood him through wisdom so Paul in this poem is using wisdom language 
to, to firmly put Jesus in his divine place. So let's, let's read it. And the, the Passion Translation actually calls this section, section in Proverbs 8, Wisdom in the Beginning. In the beginning, I was there. For God possessed me before he even created the universe. From eternity past, I was set in place before the world began. I was anointed from the beginning. Before the ocean depths were poured out, and before there were any glorious fountains overflowing with water, I was there dancing. Even before one mountain had been sculpted or one hill raised up, I was already there dancing. When he created the earth, the fields, even the first atom of dust, I was already there. When he hung the tapestry of the heavens and stretched out the horizon of the earth, when the clouds and skies were set in place and the subterranean fountains began to flow strong, I was already there. When he set in place the pillars of the earth and spoke the decrees of the seas, commanding the waves so they wouldn't overstep their boundaries, I was there, close to the creator's side, as his masters, as his master artist. Daily he filled with delight in me as I playfully rejoiced before him. I laughed and played, so happy with what he had made while finding my delight in the children of men. I could go through that poem verse by verse, but that's for another time. I am going to end. Suffice to say that this beautiful, epic language describes the nature of Jesus, which Paul is linking with when he begins that poem in verse 15. I'm not going to land the plane because we've got more verses to go through and to read. But I hope those, just those three verses and how they hyperlink to other places in Scripture just begin to help you understand it a little bit more, a little bit better, and fill your heart with joy. Brilliant. Bless you. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.